you want to keep your Bibles open to 1 Peter 5, that'd be fine. Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you in a minute, we're going to be going to the book of Proverbs, but we'll start here in 1 Peter 5. It's really good to be together and uh, good to see all your faces. It's okay. I wanted to share a couple things about where I've been and what's been going on lately, uh, just so you're kind of in on that. We're actually going to talk about the line here in 1 Peter 5 that's uh, quoted a couple times in the New Testament. It comes from Proverbs chapter 3. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. But in this text in 1 Peter 5, where he talks about the grace that God extends to those who are humble, he follows it up with kind of some strange, I guess, reminders or admonitions. One of them is, hey, watch out for the devil. It's like, okay, I thought we were talking about humility. Why are we talking about the devil? Which may mean that one of the biggest things in fighting against the devil is to make sure we're living humble kinds of lives. But he also says something else in verse 9. He says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So as Peter exhorts his brethren, hey, y'all stay humble. Hey, y'all stay fighting against the devil. Hey, y'all stay anchored in God and in the goodness of his grace. Don't forget you're not the only ones out there doing it. So with that in mind, I wanted to share with you guys uh, some of our travels recently. So a couple of weeks back, I went to, to Alabama and was with two different churches there. One of them was uh, in Red Bay, Alabama, which is as far west as you can go before you get into Mississippi, which I know from New York, you're like Alabama, Mississippi, what's the difference? And not much is the truth. I say as an Alabamian, uh, although I will say whenever, like I remember one time Emily and I were riding, I said, see the roads up there, how they get kind of bad right over there. I bet you that's the state line. And she was like, that's insulting. That's there's no way that's true. I was like, all right, let's see. So we drove across. We're in this little backcountry road. And uh, lo and behold, it was the state line. And it was pretty rough, those roads. All right. But anyway, that's where I was uh, for the first week. Uh, that congregation, I think my presence there single-handedly brought the average age down to about 59 years old, just me showing up by myself. And it was great. Everybody there was so happy. Of course, they, like us, haven't been able to do a lot of their normal activities, worshiping together. They had a week-long Sunday through Friday night um, series of, of worship every night. And it wasn't even just every night, but actually every morning they had classes because nobody, hardly anybody was working, so they had opportunity to get together. So every morning we get together for classes, at least uh, Sunday through uh, Wednesday morning. And then in the evening, uh, get together again for worship and prayer and, and the word. And they were just so happy to be there and invited bunches of friends and family members who came. It was also one of those things where everywhere you went in the town, it's just a, I mean, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny town. But uh, everywhere you went in the town, somebody knew somebody and they were all inviting people to come and hear the word of the Lord and worship and all that sort of thing. Uh, and it was great. It was great and a real encouragement to me. And I think it meant a lot to them for to be able to have the time together. Uh, Friday night after services, I drove down to Birmingham and Saturday there was a church in Birmingham that wanted to meet. So we had I think it was four sessions on Saturday and then a couple more on Sunday. Same kind of environment. Uh, that one maybe had a, a broader range of people, but still same kind of energy and fervor. The fact they wanted to spend literally all day on a Saturday. We've done those kinds of things. And y'all know how that is. At first, you're like, man, this is going to be pretty exhausting doing this kind of thing. And then you do it and it's weird. You feel more rejuvenated afterward than when you started because there's people who love the Lord, who are loving each other, trying to encourage each other in the faith and, uh, and spending that time together. Actually, one of the people that I met there, I had never met before. 
But they told me whenever they found out, they were like, oh, yeah, you're in Brooklyn, right? I was like, yeah, like, I'm pretty sure we came to your church. And I was like, okay, well, great. What was it like? And they were like, it was honestly the best part of our whole vacation going to New York City. And I was like, okay, you sure you came to our church? But that maybe so. But no, it was. And I'll tell you why. And, and this is part of why I want to share the story. They said, you know, whenever we came, we, uh, and they described 515 Rogers, our old spot. And I was like, yeah, that's definitely ours. They were like, yeah, we walked in the front and we were late. I was like, so you were on time for us. No big deal. And so they said, we walked in and we had a stroller and all this stuff. And there were just people that just got up and started moving chairs around. So we'd have somewhere to sit with our kids. Like we didn't even have to ask. Everybody was just there for us. And afterwards, everybody was so engaging. They talked about the, the teaching that they heard that day and the words that were shared afterward and all this kind of stuff, um, which I just want to say that's a commendation of the love that God has inspired and that uh, that you've allowed to work in your life and in your heart to distribute to other people because they've taken that with them. And it's been encouragement. I don't know, two years later. I don't know when it was that they were here. Like I said, I wasn't there to meet them, whatever it was. But the point being is uh, it's a great thing that we're able to strengthen and encourage people far away to continue doing the work that they're doing elsewhere. Uh, after that, I got in the car and drove up to Indiana and spent a week there with, uh, it was like a camp for, for young men, ages like 12 to 20. And they were in seven or eight Bible classes a day, studying various things, spending time in prayer. And uh, that again was completely exhausting, but exhilarating. You see these kids who really love God and want to learn to love God better and are seeking him just like we are. And that's actually my whole point with this. Uh, part of that for me to relay that to you is so y'all know what you're doing whenever, like this week where Caleb and Lindsay and the kids are away, uh, encouraging the saints in Texas and wherever else they're going to be for the next several days. Um, we don't just go, you know what I mean? Like we go with everybody. We go with our family. We go with our family. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Some churches don't encourage the people that labor among them to do that kind of stuff. Hey, you shouldn't be leaving. Like, we need you to be here and whatnot. And sometimes that's okay, fine. But uh, I appreciate the spirit of this group that y'all want us to go to help people in other places, knowing that actually it's not just Caleb or myself that's helping whenever we go to those places. It's all of us and the work that we're doing together, even whenever it's just one or two of us that go somewhere else. Really, all of us are going together um, in the Lord. So. Thanks for that. I wanted you to hear about that. I wanted you to pray for those folks. And uh, and also all those folks everywhere I went said to express their gratitude for uh, for everybody's willingness for us to go do it. And so I thought you should know about it. And uh, just be aware of some people who, frankly, I doubt any of you are going to Red Bay, Alabama anytime in your whole life. But if you do, I got a spot for you. But I doubt it. So I uh, figured you might as well hear about them that way. All right. First Peter 5 tells us, if we're going to make it in this world, if we're going to fight against the devil, if we're going to uh, enjoy the grace of God, there's a condition that goes along with it. Every good thing, there's a condition that goes along with it. I mean, we can pretend like that's not the case, but that is true. And it's especially true when it comes to the things of the Lord. And here in this text in First um, Peter chapter 5, we're reminded that to enjoy and receive the grace of God requires us to humble ourselves under the gracious, mighty hand of God himself. Verse six says, therefore, humble, well, verse five, God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed to the proud. Just stop with that sentence, part of the sentence for a second. Do you ever think about that? Somebody said, hey, God is opposed to somebody. You'd be like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. God loves everybody. God's not opposed to anybody. 
Apparently not. God does love everybody. But love itself requires a willing recipient. And so if God is love, then if you're proud and unwilling to receive it, then by his very nature, God is opposed to that. And God's opposed to you if you're proud. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time he may exalt you. We've got to learn to be humble people if we want to enjoy the grace of God. We're going to spend the majority of our time in the book of Proverbs. So if you would flip back to the book of Proverbs, I'd like to show you where this quotation comes from first. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3 contains a, a pretty long list of do's and do nots from a uh, from this father to his son. Beginning of verse 31, I'm going to read uh, Proverbs 3 and verse 31. It says, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. You can see there's this sort of um, contrast here, right? The devious, verse 32, the upright in verse 32 receive different things. The wicked and the righteous, verse 33. Verse 35, the wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. So there's all these contrasts. Verse 34 is the one that we're focusing on. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. Or yours might say the afflicted, but it's the same, same idea. Those who are lowly, those who uh, are bowing themselves down before God, those who recognize they don't have it made, they don't have it together, that they need God desperately. God gives grace to those people. Meanwhile, it's not so with the proud. Look over at chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. You guys ever uh, read about or watched a little YouTube series on the seven deadly sins? There's movies made about them, all that kind of stuff. I'll go and tell you, whatever the movie version is, I'm sorry to break it to you. It's not the seven, it's not the actual list here. Somebody made up a list, but it's not the Bible list. It's fine. Those are bad things too, the seven deadly sins. But I want you to look at the things that God actually hates. You ready for it? Proverbs 6 and verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. Six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. This is the whole, the whole deal. You ready? Number one on the list. A proud look. A proud look. Or yours may say haughty eyes. Very first one. And that's not an accident. But God doesn't haphazardly be like, oh, there's seven things. Just put it in whatever order and throws it out there. Almost always, whenever we read these lists, there's a, a, a purpose to the ordering of them, especially whichever one is put there first. Really, all the other things that he mentions, a lying tongue, a hands that shed as innocent blood, a heart that devises e the wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Those all flow out of the fountainhead of a proud look. Somebody who thinks I'm better than everybody else, so I can mess them up. I can lie about them. I can harm them. I don't have to listen to God because... I'm the most important person in the universe. God hates that. Pride is destructive in every manner. And that's why the Lord says to us, he gives grace 
to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. All right, so here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like to real quick just look through a machine gun list in the Proverbs of exhortations related to pride and humility. Uh, it's not really even exhortations. It's just promises related to pride and humility. And then I'd like us to take a step back and say, okay, what does it mean to actually be humble? Because humble is one of those words that you say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does it mean? Do I just walk around my head down low? Do I just walk around talking bad about myself all the time? Do I never assert myself? Is that what it means to be humble? Just be quiet or never speak? Or what does it mean to be humble? Uh, and then finally, we'll conclude by considering the end of humility or the, the model of humility that we're really following. All right. So here we go. You ready? We're just going to go through, blow through some verses that if you're sitting there thinking, eh, I don't know if pride's all that bad. I don't know if humility's all that great. You may still not be persuaded by the end of our uh, meditations this morning, but I'll tell you this. What you are going to know is that the Bible is very clear that this is the way it works. God gives grace to the humble. But the proud only have destruction to look forward to. Go to Proverbs uh, chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. Uh, let's start actually in Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, when pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. This is the great irony. Whenever someone is being prideful, why are they usually being prideful? Because they want to assert their honor. It's because they really want you to recognize them as deserving of honor. But how many times have y'all seen it happen? where somebody asserts their honorableness, somebody tries to convince you of how great they are, only to have it all fall apart. Maybe not in that moment, but pretty soon after they assert how great they are and how wonderful they are and how admired they should be in their pride, it ends up all falling apart. That's what the Lord says. With pride comes dishonor. But there's wisdom that comes in humility, that you recognize that you're not going, you're not uh, as great as you think you are, and you still got to grow. And then honor actually comes. Look at another one, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15 and verse 33. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. Jesus would tell a, a sort of parable, story, exhortation. He said, hey, listen, whenever you go to a dinner party, don't go sit at the best spot. Because the odds are if you sit at the best chair, they'll say, oh, uh, sorry, you're in the wrong seat. That's for somebody else. And then you got to walk all the way to the end of the table and you're going to be looking pretty foolish in that. Actually, the way to go is you take the least seat, the one that's like for the little kids. You go sit at the kids table. And then when they say, hey, what are you doing over there? Come on over here. Then there's honor. Now, Jesus wasn't just uh, teaching you how to manipulate social circumstances. What he was teaching was, hey, don't try to honor yourself. With humility comes honor. With humility comes honor. Whenever you're prideful, you can only go down. And you probably are going down. But with humility, the only way you can go is up. Let's look at another one. Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16 and verse 5. It says, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Don't use that word very often. 
That's a pretty harsh word. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And in case you think, well, I don't love that, but look at the rest of it. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. I got to say, we could probably just go through any number of examples in athletics. We're right here in the middle of the Olympics. But how many times have human beings who've prided themselves in their power and prowess of their bodies literally stumbled, literally stumbled to their destruction after bragging about how great they were, how wonderful they were, rather than just going out and running the race, going out and doing the thing. They talked about it so much. They thought about how great they were so much and it brought about their demise. Pride brings about destruction while humility brings about honor. Chapter 18 and verse 12 says just that. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 12 puts together these two ideas we've been seeing in these various Proverbs. Proverbs 18 verse 12, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. But humility goes before honor. I could keep on going. I got a long list here. I'm going to stop right there. You guys get the point, right? If you want your life to get totally messed up, go ahead and be prideful. And I'm not trying to be silly, but that is the recipe. If you really want your life to be messed up, be prideful. But if you want to be lifted up, if you want to live a life of honor, learn to be humble. That's the key. Now, uh, let me just say something here before we actually look at what the Proverbs say about how to, what humility is, how we can cultivate humility. We might say, are Christians supposed to be wanting honor, though? I mean, aren't we supposed to be humble? This is kind of a weird thing. If you want honor, be humble. Well, doesn't wanting honor kind of sound like a little bit of a prideful thing to want? Maybe, I guess. Uh, it could be. But I don't think so. I don't think so. Let me tell you the kind of honor that we're striving for and that really I think the Scripture is speaking to always. Whenever you meet God one day, on Judgment Day, what do you want Him to say to you? What do you want Him to say to you? You know, there's some who will meet the Lord one day and he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I don't know you. That will be the ultimate dishonor of your life. That would be the ultimate destruction of every good thing, every pursuit you've ever had is if he meets you and he says that to you. On the other hand, there are some, Jesus says, who will meet him on that day and he'll say this. Well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master. All right, how's that sound? Does that sound like some sort of real life? We're all going to be like, yeah, you heard that? He said, well done, servant. You think anybody's going to be talking like that then? But is that honor? It totally is. For Jesus to tell you well done is the greatest honor that we could ever receive. One, by the way, that will only be an act of grace from him. It's not going to be something that we're going to be able to look at and say, actually, is all that true. It's only by his grace that he would regard us with that. But that is the honor that we're striving for, to be pleasing to him, to, to, to have his affirmation. That's what we're going for. God gives grace to the humble, to honor us, to lift us up, to embrace us as his servants. More than that, to embrace us as his children. That's what we want. That's the honor that we're striving for. That's the glory that we're striving for. It's not the glory of getting to beat our chests of how wonderful we've done or what great accomplishments we've achieved while here on earth. That's not the kind of honor that we're talking about. 
We're talking about the honor of making our Father in heaven happy with us. That's what it is, all right? And the only way that's possible is if we live a life of humility. That's how we'll find that grace in his eyes. All right, so how do we have that kind of humility? How do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of our God so that the proper time he will exalt us? Look at Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs 21. We're going to look briefly at uh, a few Proverbs that help us understand a handful of principles that lead us into humility. And this, this list of uh, concepts that we're going to run through, um, I think are, are valuable in, in two ways. They have been for me, at least. I've been reflecting on them. Number one, it's a helpful self-check. Am I humble? Am I humble? Consider these things and measure yourself against it. Whether or not I would say, yes, I am humble, uh, I should take these as a sort of a list of to do's if I want to be humble. So not only is this an exam for yourself to see how you're doing in terms of your humility, it's also a set of goals for you to pursue in cultivating a truly humble heart that will receive the grace of God. All right. So let's read Proverbs 21, verse four and think about the first concept. Proverbs 21, verse four. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The thing the Lord hates. Remember Proverbs six. The lamp of the wicked is sin. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked is sin. All right, here's concept number one that I think we need to understand if we want to develop a truly humble heart that receives the grace of God. Humility grows in the ground of penitent godliness. Humility grows in the ground of penitent godliness. If your life is filled with sin, if your life is filled with wickedness, if that's what lights up your life, that's how he talks about Pride here is pride. The lamp of the wicked is sin. That's the thing that lights up your life is whenever you're, you're living in sin. Uh, if that's what your life is filled with, there's no, there's no grace that can grow out of that. There's no humility. Humility is impossible in ground that's filled with sin. So let me ask you and you ask yourself, how are you doing in terms of uh, living a godly life? Or are you running out here doing a bunch of stuff, talking in ways that are ungodly, looking at stuff that's ungodly, <laughs> treating other folks in an ungodly manner that's against God's will? If you are, you need to clean that stuff out. And this, of course, makes perfect sense because here's what we're doing if we're living a sinful life, if we're continuing in sin. Then what we're saying is, God, not thy will, but my will be done. I appreciate your advice on how I should live. But if it's all right with you, actually, even if it's not all right with you, I'm going to carry on doing what I want to do, talking how I want to talk, think about money the way I'm going to think about money, treating my coworkers the way I want to treat them, using my body however I want to use it, using substances however I want to use them, whatever it may be. I don't really care what you think, God. What pride. And this brings us right back to God gives grace to the humble. God can't give you grace if you're saying no, thank you. If you're just telling God, hey, God, whatever it is you want for me, whatever good it is you want for me, no thanks. I'm going to do it my way. Okay. God's not going to force it down your throat. Humility grows in the ground of penitent godliness. We've got to root out the sin in our lives. If you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, yeah, I'm actually living in sin. I'm carrying on with some things that I know God has explicitly said I shouldn't do. I cannot do if I'm going to be pleasing to him. Don't stay sitting in there. Here's the beautiful thing. You can humble yourself anytime you want. You can do it right here, right now. 
you could just say, I'm not doing that anymore. God, please help me. God, forgive me. You can grab somebody and say, hey, I need to confess some sins to you and I need you to pray for me and help me to be stronger so that I'll live in humility and not continue in this sin. Otherwise, there's no grace for you. And I'm not trying to say that to be mean. I'm actually trying to say it to be kind so that you'll repent and you'll be able to enjoy the grace of God because the grace of God is only available to the humble and humility grows in the ground of penitent godliness. All right, here's the, here's the second concept related to humility. And uh, there's a number of passages for this one. Second concept that the Proverbs teach us about what humility really is, how to cultivate a humble heart, is to realize that humility does not perform or pretend in order to impress others. Humility does not perform or pretend in order to impress others. Go back to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12 and verse number nine. Proverbs 12 and verse number nine. It says, better to be a nobody, better to be a nobody, and yet have a servant, or some translations say, and yet work for yourself. It's actually a kind of more interesting translation, I think. Anyways, uh, better to be a nobody, and yet have a servant. Get stuff done, in other words, than to pretend to be somebody and have no food. I love that line. How many folks are out here pretending to be somebody and yet they've got no bread? Nothing good's actually happened in their life because really the only thing they're trying to do is achieve honor for themselves in the eyes of other people. Look, that's pride. To act like somebody, you're not trying to trick me into thinking that you're somebody that you're really not. That kind of deception is an extreme form of pride. It's definitely not humility to just be honest about what I actually am, to pretend like I'm somebody that I'm not. Go over to Proverbs chapter 25. There's a couple here in Proverbs chapter 25 related to this concept of trying to impress other people, trying to pretend for other people's uh, honor and respect. Proverbs 25 verse 6. Proverbs 25 6 says, Do not claim honor in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of great men, for it is better that it be said to you, hey, come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. This, of course, is almost exactly what Jesus talked about in that Thing about getting called up to the better chair and all that kind of stuff. Listen, whenever you're with important people, don't act like you're important if you're not. Don't. You're not fooling anybody. You're going to be found out pretty quick. All right. If you are important, great. Good for you. Don't pretend like you're not, I guess. Just be genuine. Be authentic. But definitely don't pretend like you're somebody when you're really not. Don't pretend like you got money whenever you're not. Don't pretend like you're smarter than you actually are. Don't pretend you're one of the princes when you're just like one of us common folk. Don't pretend. You're not impressing anybody. You're not. I mean, you may. Yeah, that's not true. You will impress somebody for a little bit, but you'll be found out eventually. And then you're not going to be impressing anybody, most of all yourself. Well, maybe most of all God, but including yourself. Look at another one in Proverbs 25 and verse 15. Uh, Proverbs 25. You know, let's actually skip that one. Look at verse 27. Proverbs 25, verse 27 says, it is not good to eat much honey. This one makes sense, right? We, we would say, it's not good to eat much candy. You know, in the ancient world, honey would be the, the close you could get something like that. If you eat too much sugar, you know what that does to you, right? It just makes you sick. I mean, it's nice a little bit, but the more you eat, it messes you up. Listen to what he goes on to say. Nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. It's not good to eat too much honey, nor is it good to search out one's own glory. Do you do that? You ever try to make sure people know how good of a job you did or the accomplishments you had 
or how they should be really impressed with this thing that you did. What happens if you live that kind of way? Now, can I just make a moment to pause here? Doesn't the world tell us you kind of have to do this? If you want to be successful on the job, don't you have to search out your own glory? If you want to, I don't know, make it out there in the dating scene, you've got to be able to present yourself in a way that you're more attractive than other options that people have. Just in social life in general. I mean, if we're going to keep up, if I'm going to get as many likes and followers as everybody else on my social media feed, I've got to make sure to tell people about all my accomplishments. We got to, this is a tough one, y'all. We got to decide who we're going to listen to. If we're going to listen to what the world has to say about this, or we're going to listen to what God has to say about this. People who are following Jesus are not people who are out here tooting our own horns. We're not out here letting folks know about how great we are or how much we accomplished. Look, if, if you happen to accomplish something and people find out about it, don't be embarrassed about that. That's great. You can celebrate accomplishments, okay? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But you know the difference in celebrating something good that happens in your life and trying to make sure people know how special you are, how smart you are, how much you've accomplished, how much they should respect you and honor you. Humility doesn't do that. Humility doesn't seek to impress, to perform, even pretend to make people think how great I really am. Proverbs 27 verse 2 instructs us this way. Proverbs 27 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Don't run around telling people about how great you are. If it needs to be said, somebody else is going to say it. You can believe that. Some of y'all know what that's like to have people praise you, to have people say, oh, okay, great. That's good. And if people know about it, I'm able to use that for something good. I'm able to enjoy the benefits of that. Wonderful. But I'm not out here trying to impress people. I'm not out here trying to perform for people. That's not humility. That's the path of pride to lift myself up rather than to rely on God to lift me up. You aren't fooling anybody by pretending you're something you're not. You're not going to win in life if you just are out there performing all the time, trying to get people to be impressed with you. God gives grace to the humble. Let's not fall into the path of pride. All right. So humility grows in the ground of penance and godliness. Humility does not perform or pretend to impress others. Go back to uh, Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. Let's uh, think about our third third lesson here about true humility and how to cultivate it. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10. Where there is strife, there is pride or insolence. Just another word for pride. But wisdom is found with those who take advice. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Here's our third concept. Humility refrains from arguing, always having to be right. How do you do with that? When there's a disagreement about something that you consider yourself to be an expert in, how easy is it for you to say, you know what, maybe you're right. Even when you know you're right. You know what I'm talking about? You're having an argument, you know they're wrong. Are you willing to relent? Or do you have to get in there? You got to keep the fight alive until they finally bow down and say, you are the superior intelligence. You are correct. Some of us have a problem with that. Google has messed this up for us because we can just do the tiebreaker real quick with Google and whatnot. But, you know, Google doesn't have answers to everything. And there are times whenever we get into these arguments and we just keep it up, keep it up. 
you're doing that, what's, what are you trying to gain? What are you trying to gain in that disagreement with that family member? Of course, what you're trying to gain is, is they're honoring you, them bowing down and, and exalting you by admitting that you are right and they are wrong. Humility says, I don't need that. I don't need to be right, even if I know I'm right. And by the way, I'm not talking about the, you know, the, the little thing where we say, okay, fine. Which is like, okay, like I know what you're really doing there. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> well, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about really just being like, hey, I don't care. It's fine. Like, let's not argue. It's not worth an argument to me. Prideful people say it's always worth an argument, whatever the matter may be. Not for us, though. Not for the humble. Not for those who are seeking the grace of God. We're not going to be people of strife. We're not going to be people who argue about even important stuff, I'll add. Now, don't get me wrong. There's times when it comes to look, when it comes to what's true and false in God's will, we got to get in there with gentleness and patience and kindness. We got to get in there to figure out what's right. But I'll tell you, anything beyond what's explicitly stated in this book, as far as God's will, it ain't worth it. And we're not going to be people of strife if we're going to be those who are humble. Are you willing to admit you're wrong? Are you willing to let somebody else win? Or are you too proud for that? Go to, back to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. This is somewhat related. If we're going to be humble people, not only do we need to let humility grow in the ground of penitent godliness, not only do we need to stop trying to perform or pretend in order to impress others, not only do we need to be willing to just say, hey, you're right, I'm wrong. Refrain from arguing. But we've got to let go of control or the illusion of control of our lives. Proverbs 27 verse 1. Do not boast, don't be arrogant, about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Uh, the Lord's brother in the book of James, in James chapter 4, he pretty much quotes this. Uh, when he says, hey, don't run around here saying, you know, tomorrow we're going to go to such and such city and we're going to buy and sell and make ourselves a profit and do all that kind of stuff. And James says, don't be so arrogant. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. He's just quoting this right here. And he says, your life, it's like a vapor, man. I mean, it's like on a cold morning, whenever you breathe out that breath and you see that stuff for half a second and then it's gone. That's your whole, whole, whole life. And you think you have control of tomorrow? Are you kidding me? You don't even know if tomorrow's going to exist. Don't act like you have control over your life. James says, instead, what we ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we'll go do this and do that. And maybe we'll make. And so he's not saying don't make any kind of plans. Don't think about your future. That's fine. But don't act like you have control over it. And some of us have real issues with control, don't we? And you may think, I don't have issues with control. I wonder if we went and asked some of your coworkers or some of your family members, some of your best friends. What would they say about your issues with control then? Humble people recognize that we don't have control over ourselves, really. We have control of our choices moment by moment and how we respond to temptation and the devil and God and all this. But other than that, we don't have any control. We don't. I mean, I can start saying a bunch of really scary stuff and make all of y'all nervous right now. and be totally distracted. But think about all the things that are outside of our control right here and right now in the universe around us. Totally outside our control. And yet we like to pretend like we're the ones running the show. Don't be so arrogant. And I'll tell you, there's a real relief that comes with recognizing that you're not in control. Because whenever you have the pride to think, I can control my own destiny, I'm dictating everything about my future, that's why you're stressed out all the time, honestly, about everything related to your health and your finances and your job and your family and all this kind of stuff. It's because you think it's all on you. There's a real relief that comes with saying, hey, if the Lord wills. 
And whatever the Lord wills, I'm humbling myself under the mighty hand of God so that he'll give me grace and exalt me in whatever way he sees fit. Humble people give up control of how things are going in their life. Oh, that doesn't mean you can keep on sinning, by the way. Point number one. Okay. Y'all know what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, Proverbs 16. Let's look at another one. So humility grows in the ground of penitence and godliness. Humility means that we're not pretending or performing in order to impress others. Humility refrains from arguing, always having to be right. Humility gives up the illusion of control of one's life. And Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 19 shows us another important concept related to uh, humility. Proverbs 16 and verse 19 says, It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to, than to divide the spoil with the proud. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Here's our fifth concept related to real humility. Humility is cultivated through relationships with the lowly. Humility is cultivated through relationships with the lowly. The way Jesus talked about this once is there were people who were bringing children in. And at first, the disciples said, hey, Jesus is more important. No, no, no. He's got important stuff to do. He doesn't have time for these little kids. And Jesus said, oh, let the little children come to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Matter of fact, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be converted to become like a little child. And if that's the way you're going to live, then you're going to receive children like this in my name. Children weren't uh, necessarily considered and probably actually still today in many circles, not considered these sweet, you know, uh, uh, avatars of our future or whatever that we say about kids now. You know, they were just kind of they were just there, you know, like you stay out of sight, stay out of mind. Don't cause any problems. They were the lowest. Jesus said, "Uh, uh-uh, bring those to me. And if you're going to be one of my people, these need to be your people right here. Cultivate relationships with the lowly. The Apostle Paul would write in Romans chapter 12 and verse 16 to associate with low things. Sometimes that's translated uh, the, the lowly, talking about like people. And it certainly would include people. But Paul is actually saying, hey, you need to stop associating yourself with the important stuff, the, the meaningful stuff in the world, the powerful stuff. Associate with the low things. How about you? What do you associate yourself with? Who do you gravitate toward the most? You scan in the room in the office, be like, who's the most important person? Let me figure out how I can be friends with them. Mm -mm. Not if you're going to be a humble person. Those who are humble, those who receive the grace of God, associate with the lowly. These are my people. And not in some sort of patronizing kind of way. No, because we actually believe that we're lowly. You know what I mean? Your relationships actually kind of indicate where you think you belong, what air you're really breathing. The scriptures are saying, hey, this is a test. Do you think you belong with the most beautiful, the most important, the most powerful? If you do, that kind of means you think you're the most beautiful. You're the most important. You're the most powerful. Associate with the lowly. That may mean you need to cultivate that kind of spirit. Be like, hey, the people that nobody else thinks are important, those are my people. Those are my people. Because I'm not. I'm not that important. And I'm not saying that some sort of like self-loathing, self self No, just I'm just not. I'm just a regular old person. And so I need to look out for those who everybody else overlooks as regular old people and degrades them and puts them down. That's my people. Because the humble, they relate to, they connect with, they associate with the lowly. Humility is cultivated through relationships with the lowly. All right, last thing uh, before we bring this thing home. 
Humility does no harm to another, nor seeks its own good. Humility places others first. Look at Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30 and verse 11. There's a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother. There's a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. There's a kind, oh, how lofty are his eyes, and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. There's a kind of man whose teeth are like swords and his jaw teeth like knives to devour the afflicted from the earth and the needy from among men. The leech has two daughters, give and give. There are three, three things that will not be satisfied, four that will not say enough. Sheol and the barren womb, earth that is never satisfied with water, and fire that never says enough. All those little sort of poetic descriptions in verses 15 and 16 are conveying the spirit of a really haughty person. I'm always just trying to take. Just give me more. Give me more. I'll never say enough. I want to take from you. And if that means I have to abuse you and mistreat you, devour you with teeth like knives, I'll do it. I don't care about you. I don't care about your interests. I don't care about your wishes. All I care about is myself. And none of us wants to believe that we're those kinds of people. None of us. But you know what? I bet the person who the proverb writer here is describing, they don't want to think about themselves like that either. They would never describe themselves that way. They're just, uh, they just take advantage of situations when they present themselves. They just have a lot of friends who like to give and I like to receive. So that's the way it is. Look, I got a lot of needs and you don't understand what's going on in my life that makes me have to have. So you know what I'm saying? We all have reasons for being prideful people if we slip into that. But here's the measurement. Are you somebody who's always taking? Are you somebody who's always looking to receive? If I'm out here taking advantage of others, seeking my own good all the time, that's not humility. Humility seeks the best interests of another. Humility says, no, no, let me not look out for my own interests first. Let me look out for your interests first. Let me do what would be most advantageous to you as much as in my power. I may not be able to do all that I want to do for you, but I'm going to do all I can because I'm not looking out here for my own best interests. I'm thinking about yours. That's humility. How you doing? How you doing? Are you living that kind of life? Are you looking out for the needs of others? Are you mostly looking out for how others can fulfill your own needs, your own wants, your own wishes? Humility grows in the ground of penitent godliness. Humility does not perform or pretend in order to impress others so we can get glory from them. Humility refrains from arguing, always having to be right always having to make people bow down to your superior intelligence. Humility gives up the illusion of control of one's life. Stop boasting about tomorrow. You ain't got control over today, much less tomorrow. Humility is cultivated through relationships with the lowly. I don't try to find the most important people. I try to find people like me, regular old folks. Humility does no harm to another, nor seeks its own good. Humility places others first. I ask you again, how you doing? Can you say that you're a humble person? Can I say something about this, by the way? I, this is a great quote, and it's a true quote, the spirit of it, right? That if you ever say to yourself, oh, I'm getting pretty humble, 
then you got to start all over. You actually got to prideful. And that's true. Except God commands us to be humble. And he gives us objective standards for how to be humble. So be careful with this next thing I'm about to say. But I think we should be able to get to a place where we can say, I'm doing my best to be humble. And I actually think I'm, I'm doing it. Pray for me that I'll keep on doing it. Okay, again, be careful in that. Don't get prideful over humility. But uh, God's told us how to do it. So it's on us to get out there to learn to be humble people. You may think, man, that's a lot. That's really hard to do. It is. This list is really challenging. And this is just, I mean, one list from one book of the Bible. We just touched on a few things in Proverbs. There are many other teachings in Scripture about how to be humble. This is just sort of a starter pack for you. I think if we work on this, we're going to find some other ways to be humble as well. But the greatest way to learn humility is from the greatest demonstration of humility we've ever discovered or it's ever been revealed to us, maybe I should say. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul exhorted the saints in Philippi to learn to be humble. If you guys want to enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit, if you guys want to enjoy the comfort of love, if you want to enjoy affection and compassion amongst yourselves, then do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard each other as more important than yourselves. Which means, by the way, if I regard you as more important than me, then I'm going to refrain from arguing with you about petty stuff because I don't care about I don't want to lose a relationship with you over some petty argument. I'm going to seek your good. I'm not going to try to take advantage of you. And because I care so much, I admire you so much and the life you're living in the Lord, I'm going to be rooting out sin as I'm motivated by your example. God, you get it, right? The more we value each other, even more than ourselves, we'll learn that humility that we've learned about here in the Proverbs. And he's and, and almost as if they might have said, dude, that sounds kind of ridiculous. First of all, everybody else is not more important than me. That may actually be true. But he says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. who, Although he existed in the form of God, he didn't count that equality with God to be something he would hold on to. But instead, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a man. Quality with God to be one of us with all the aches and pains and troubles and sorrows of humanity. But not just any kind of man. He became a servant, a bond servant, the lowest of the low. And he, he learned obedience there in that flesh all the way to the point of death. And not just any death, death on a cross the lowest and most humiliating sort of death that humankind has ever invented. That's what he did. Because, why? His humility. Because he thought that our interests were more important than his own. And as he picked up his cross, he called us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him in the way of humility. And the promise of Jesus, our great example of humility, the great model, the great forerunner of the humble, is that God gave him grace. God gave him the grace of honoring him of a resurrected life. 
that the grave couldn't contain him, that all the abuse and all the dishonor that he received in this world, it didn't last. It barely lasted for a couple days. And up from the grave, he arose again. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, and the Father exalted him at the proper time. And what Jesus did is meant to beckon us to come and follow him in the way of humility so that we too will experience his grace for all who humble themselves before him.